If you've ever gone to find an old family photo and stumbled upon your own copy of J.J. Audubon's hand-colored lithograph of lemmings and beavers from the mid-1800s and thought to yourself, why'd I buy that? Then boy, do we have a show for you. It's Why'd I Buy That, the podcast where we explore and examine the impulses and influences behind the things we buy, the principles and pitfalls, the economics and execution, the stories and psychology in ads, and the world of advertising. I'm your straight-haired host, Ryan. And I'm your curly-haired host, Abe. This episode is all about the Super Bowl and the ads that appear alongside the biggest sporting event in the world. We'll throw a hammer at the all-seeing eye of Big Brother, acknowledge the existence of Dieselgate, and talk about one of America's favorite chips. But first, we need to wrap our minds around the size and scope of what is the world's highest-grossing sports league, the National Football League, the NFL. That's right. The NFL is the world's biggest sports league, uh, biggest in a number of ways, whether it's worldwide recognition, merchandising, distribution. Um, but where this is particularly true is when it comes to revenue. The NFL is king when it comes to making money. Uh, just how big is it, Abe? I thought you'd never ask, Ryan. As Donald Trump would say, it's huge. The NFL is gigantic. Uh, I have here a list of the top 10 sports leagues in the world based on their annual revenue. And the NFL is right at the tippity top, earning about $13 billion a year in revenue. Uh, rounding out the other nine are five soccer leagues. The world loves soccer. We think of it as being huge international, right? And, and it is. But you have to combine the revenues of all five of these soccer leagues, uh, the Premier League in England and Wales, and the biggest soccer leagues in Germany, Spain, Italy, and Europe to surpass the NFL's revenue. So, so, yeah, if you were to look at soccer as like a global monolith, yeah, it's bigger than the NFL. If you were to lump all soccer together, yes. obviously it's bigger and more popular. Yes. But, but it's divided into different leagues yep, geographically. Right, exactly. And those, the NFL is one country, right? They're all, all the teams are in the United States of America. Number two on the list is Major League Baseball. Uh, that comes in at $9.5 billion, which is almost 40% less than NFL revenue. And, and you think, oh, the NBA, they've got to be up there too. Well, they are. They're number four on the list, but they're only at $4.8 billion compared to the NFL's $13 billion. That's less than half. Yeah, it's almost a third. So, all of this is to say that the NFL is number one by a long way. And that's with fewer games and a shorter season than the NBA or Major League Baseball. Here's just one more statistic that illustrates the size of the NFL and also shows why advertising in the NFL, specifically on TV and during the Super Bowl, is so big. There are, of course, millions of fans and followers of the NFL throughout the world, uh, in the United States and elsewhere. But... More than 90% of those fans have never been to an NFL game. Think about it. So the only way they are learning or, or watching or participating in a game is, is... by reading about the games in the newspaper yes, the next day. The newspaper. I mean, that's... Yeah. They watch them on TV. That's their experience. That's their exposure. That's how they were introduced to the game. That's how they follow the game. And that's probably how they will spend their life... Uh, enjoying the NFL. So where does all that sweet NFL money come from? Uh, Abe kind of spoiled everything when he talked about television, but there are other sources of revenue, you know, concessions, you know, super highly priced, questionable hot dogs and jersey yeah, sales, popcorn. video game licensing, lawsuits against people who dare to use the letters NFL in their own acronyms. Yeah, the uh, 
National Frisbee League. Yeah, they tried the the native. They were shut down. Finland lovers. Yeah, those people just you know, love their country. Yeah, they try so hard, but they, they get sued, and then they you know they can't do it anymore. Yeah, just it's just not the same thing. Two thirds of the money from the NFL, two thirds of their revenue comes from television. Yeah. So it's television that's paying for the NFL. Enough talk about money, Ryan. Let's talk about ads, specifically ads that appear in. The Super Bowl. That's what we're kind of here to talk about. The Super Bowl, of course, is the culmination of the NFL season. It, and it's also kind of the big dance when it comes to advertising, too. There's more. It's more than just about football. The Super Bowl it, it is, has become that. Yes. Is like the ad prom. Yes, like it's you, the you mecca. Take, you put out your best ads. You, you pay a lot of money for it. It's a big deal. Yeah, if you've got something you want the world to see and you've got the budget for it, of course you're going to advertise in the Super Bowl because the world is watching the Super Bowl. Our first stop takes us back uh, to an ad that premiered in 1984 in, of course, Super Bowl 18, which was Redskins versus Raiders. Apple ran a 60-second ad titled 1984. Ryan, why does 1984 matter? What does that year mean? Um, it, well, it's one year before Back to the Future came out. Yes. Uh, I can't think of anything else. <laughs> the book. It's also the book, the book yes, obviously. obviously. George Orwell's yes. uh, dystopian takedown of Stalinist-style socialism. This is where we get Big Brother from, right? Big Brother is watching. That's kind of this idea that... Which is now celebrated in a reality show about watching uh, people <laughs> yeah, do stupid really things great. in a house. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's wonderful how literature is celebrated. Yes. <laughs> Uh, George would be so pleased with he what we've be. done he would with love his, it. He his would, book. He'd just be giddy. You know? 19, yeah. 1984. So picture this. It's a dystopian future, and an industrial setting. There's muted gray tones. Everything's kind of drab, little bits of wispy smoke kind of drifting around. And there's a line of people marching in lockstep, single file, surrounded by TV screens down this kind of bleak tunnel. Uh, in the midst of this, this woman in full-colored red shorts and a white top is running. She's carrying a big sledgehammer through this mass of mindless folks. They make their way to this room, and they're listening to this talking face on this television, and it's saying things like the information purification directives and a garden of pure e ideology and uh, our unification of thoughts is a more powerful weapon than any fleet or army on earth. Uh, we shall prevail. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff you'll see in your typical motivational speaker yeah. uh, conference. A lot of MBAs uh, really like this sort of light language. Yes, yeah, right. Towards the end of this, this woman makes her way to the front of this room and hurls this big and, and sledgehammer. No, no she is, she's in full color. She's wearing bright red shorts, yes. white top. She's very vibrant yes. uh, compared to the— Yeah, in stark contrast. Yeah. Uh, she throws this sledgehammer and it shatters the screen and then we'll hear this voiceover. So here's the ad from 1984. Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh, 
And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. And there's the ad. Uh, it was a delightful romp, uh, feel-good ad, really, of the year. Uh, did we mention that that ad was also directed by one Ridley Scott of Aliens, of Blade Runner? The intent of this ad was to show this fight for the control of computer technology. IBM was the big dog. They were they were huge. They were everywhere. They'd been around for decades, and uh, they were the number one by far. I mean, the, the, yeah, and Apple's kind of an upstart at this point. Yeah, Apple's intent was this is the, an idea of the few versus the many. Instead, when you watch it, you get this feeling of conforming or being a nonconformist. And you could conform and stick with IBM, or you could be a nonconformist. You could think independently. You could smash up some screens and then buy an Wear Apple screen. Wear some short shorts, yeah, run I mean, around. Short and, shorts weren't a thing until this ad. People and, were wearing long, yeah, long absurdly shorts. long pants. Yeah, they had the uh, yeah. capris. They had man pris, actually, that people would, men yeah. would wear. Yeah. And, and women they said, this capris. woman wearing red shorts, she's inspired a generation. I, I need to show more thigh in my wardrobe. And in that in that regard, Steve Jobs' vision really came true. Yes, uh, the ad people w- think he was a people think he was a, yeah, a technology wizard. Yeah, he, no, really, he was a really an innovator fa- he when was it a came to short shorts. Yes, Absolutely, yes. that was his. A lot of people don't know that or realize that. So, in spite of the board's fears, the ad was actually a huge success. Apple sold three point five million dollars worth of computers that year. The ad went on to win a lot of awards, uh, including an award in two thousand seven for best Super Bowl spot. Ever, I guess they decided in 2007 that there <laughs> were they're just no more Super Bowls. Nothing's going to ever be good enough for us. Yeah. Everything's going to be yeah. crappy from this, this point on. Let's it. just let's just say right now, for yeah. all time, this is the best Super Bowl spot. Ryan, all this talk of airborne sledgehammers makes me want to see how well my sledgehammer would fare in a collision with your personal computer. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll bust open a bag of the first tortilla chip brand. We're back with White Eye by that, talking about Super Bowl ads, the most influential, biggest Super Bowl ads of all time, uh, and a little bit of fun facts about NFL football. Thank you, Ryan. Your perspicacity knows no bounds. Indeed. <laughs> American football, uh, is the product peddled by the NFL, is full of a bunch of rules, right? There's complicated rules. It's not like, you know, soccer is, is so simple. Kick the ball in the goal. NFL, you've got 11 guys on each side, and you got the football and the referees and all these things going around. you got uh, dead ball fouls, kickoffs, field goals, calling for a fair catch, illegal shifts, illegal forward passes, the number of captains participating in a coin toss, false starts, one-point safeties, laterals, how you can tackle, who can advance the ball after a fumble. Tons and tons and tons of rules. Some of these rules have been around for decades since the game premiered, since the infancy of football. Uh, And some were tweaked and adjusted just this past offseason. But there is at least one rule in the NFL that exists in large part and really possibly exclusively now to cater to advertisers, to cater to the television uh, viewing public. We're talking, of course, about the two-minute warning. Yes, a two-minute warning. When pro football started in 1892, uh, it basically had two 45-minute halves and one 15-minute halftime. That was it. That was that was really all they had. Yeah, who was the first halftime show? Do you remember? Um, I want to say— 1892? Was it Scott Joplin? 
Yeah, it was a. He played some ragtime. <laughs> yes, just came out with his. They wheeled his piano out into the out field, in the middle of the muddy field. He played that. Everyone was kind of respectful, and then his shirt <laughs> fell off, and and everyone was really scandalized. <laughs> wardrobes. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, it was very a, first wardrobe malfunction. Scott Joplin. Uh, ragtime. Leave Maple Leaf Rag. Yeah, and yeah. In, and in these and in the 1890s, it was up to the referee to notify team captains of time remaining in the house. So the referee'd be there with a watch or stopwatch or yeah standing next to a put his monocle on his eye and pull his stopwatch out of his pocket he had one of those chain uh connector pocket watch i say yeah you know tell you how how much time is remaining in the half and yeah and specifically he'd say hey there's 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 two minutes right now yeah but in the 60s um they started uh putting in stadium clocks. They started saying, you know what? This clock technology, this newfangled clock technology, maybe we make a big one and just put it where everyone can see it. Yeah, they went away from the sundial in the 1960s and finally had a ticking clock. Yeah, and so, you know, it was like, well, I guess we can do away with the telling everybody, you know, that they have two minutes left and a half. it's no longer the case that only one person, the referee, knew how much time exactly was left. now everybody knows. You could glance at the clock. It's like, oh, well, we could do away with this two-minute warning business. But no, you don't. You keep it. Why? Because it's good for advertisers. And it's this great tension-building moment. And who wouldn't want to advertise right then when you're about to see, you're, you know, you've had this Tension is high. Up. Things, you know, your blood is boiling. And then a toilet paper ad comes on and yes. you're immediately, immediately sold on I that. I need to Charmin. buy toilet oh, paper. Man. You walk out the door before the end of the game. You forget everything that's going on I got to get me some Charmin. <laughs> and you go How get How do some I Charmin. get that in my bathroom? Yeah, exactly. Where's that stuffy, fluffy... Padded paper. That is the slogan for for yeah, Charmin. Stuffy, fluffy, padded paper. That. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and it's made for advertisers. That, there's, yes, that's really what it's all about. And it's part of the reason why the NFL has such success on TV is because they've really grown up and integrated into television in a way that not every other sports league has. Let's shift gears for a minute and talk about what might appear in that two-minute warning, perhaps during one of the Super Bowls in days past. For more than a decade, Doritos ran a Crash the Super Bowl contest, wherein consumers were tasked with creating original, fun, catchy, hilarious, irreverent, memorable, or whatever advertisements. It was out of your own mind you create this ad for Doritos. Prizes for this varied, including winning a year's worth of Doritos or up to a million dollars in cash. But you'd always get your ad to play in the Super Bowl. They would pay for the airtime. Frito-Lay would, uh, say, you know, reserve a couple slots and play the winning ad. Yeah. It sounds like a wonderful way for young, creative people to to really show off their talents and and do their thing. Oh, but the joke's on you. It's really a way of getting Doritos or a way for Doritos to get a lot of free advertising. And it's actually really brilliant when you think about it. So first, you get a bunch of people to buy Doritos to make their ads. You can't film a Doritos ad yeah, without you, showing Doritos in it. So you probably need some extras and some backups yeah, and some yeah. stunt bags along yeah, the way. So you're going to go buy at least a couple bags of Doritos for your thing, so Doritos get some money from that. Yeah, second, this promotion, this contest, uh, there's some goodwill on the part of participants submitting ads. They're thinking, hey, Doritos has given me a shot at a million bucks. Man, I love Doritos. They're the best. What a great company. Third... 
you have goodwill on the part of the people watching the ads. People are saying, oh, this is the contest I heard about. That's really cool. Like, I wonder what these random average Joes came up with. Yeah, and you could, They're like me. That could be me making a commercial. Right, and you could go online and see your own submission or your neighbor's submission. You could see all of these uh, hundreds or even thousands of ads and compare and contrast, and you'd spend you know, a couple hours being indoctrinated to Doritos. Tell people about the contest and have someone decide which one go- which one airs. That's it. It's very cheap to do, which offsets some of the costs of placing the ad in the Super Bowl. Abe, didn't you make a few ads for Doritos? Yes, Ryan, I thought you'd never ask. Uh, a friend and former coworker of mine, TJ Packer, invited me to help out on a few of these ads. We submitted ads for two years, and in one of the years we actually won uh, honorable mention and a year's worth of Doritos, which came in the form of a certificate. It was really one big Dorito, which was weird. You had to like break <laughs> off yeah. a, a piece every so often when you wanted one. Yes. Uh, it came in the form of 52 gift certificates, not gift certificates, 52 coupons for free bags of Doritos that you had to take to Target or Walmart or wherever and cash them in that day. Uh, if, if you're interested, the ad was called Noah's Last Chip. So the first year that they did this contest, in 2006... Talking Doritos now, the Crash the Super yes. Bowl contest. The, the first year Doritos did this, the Crash the Super Bowl contest, uh, in 2006, 1,065 ads were submitted. Five finalists got $10,000 each. Two of the spots aired during the Super Bowl. And guess what? Doritos saw a 12% increase in sales uh, in January 2007. So Yeah, the month the Super Bowl airs, right after this, these ads had played. Yeah. Uh, you know, a million people viewed the website to vote for the finalists. Uh, so it, it definitely worked. It definitely was a, a winning campaign for Doritos. The contest tapped into the everyman's feeling of, hey, you know what? I could make a better ad than that. Well, try it or vote for it or sympathize with somebody who does try it and goes out on a limb and creates this bizarre or funny or terrible ad on behalf of Doritos. In the 10-plus years of the contest, more than 36,000 ads were submitted. Now, of course, most of those are dogs. They're not very good. But some of them are good, and a few of them are really great, and those aired in the Super Bowl. PepsiCo, who owns Doritos, I've been saying Frito-Lay. I apologize for that. It's PepsiCo, not Frito-Lay. Please feel free to write Abe a sternly worded letter. Yes. uh, Acknowledging Berating my stupidity. PepsiCo paid out more than $7 million over the course of this uh, contest, in in this decade that they had the Crash the Super Bowl contest. You know, Abe, this gives me an idea for a Let's Crash the Badminton World Championships contest that I'd like to pitch to Pringles. So let's take a short break. Oh, I like it. When we come back, we'll rev up our advertising IQ with one of the best auto ads to grace the Super Bowl stage. And we're back with Why'd I Buy That? Talking today about the biggest stage for television advertisements, the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. If there's anything that anyone, everyone knows about the Super Bowl and advertising, it's that putting an ad in the Super Bowl costs a lot of money. Uh, and so many people are watching. Uh, it's, it's an absurd amount of money uh, just to get one 30-second spot. Abe, tell us about these costs. Well, in 1967, the first Super Bowl, it probably cost somewhere around 40000 bucks to get a 30-second ad on the Super Bowl. Fast forward about three decades 1995 costs a million dollars. 2001, it jumps to two million. 
2011, that number is now $3 million for a 30-second ad. And in 2015, it was $4.5 million, and that number continues to kind of creep up each and every year. I've done a little bit of interesting math, if there is such a thing, to provide some perspective on Super Bowl ads and ad placement compared to ordinary, regular old TV ads, uh, airing stuff outside of a big sporting event like the Super Say Bowl. Say during a rerun of Frasier yeah. or... Or uh, an episode of Big Brother. Which I never miss. Yeah. Wait, which one? Reruns of Frasier? Reruns of Frasier. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever... Kelsey Grammer. Can't get enough of it. In fact, if Abe were to be a contestant on Big Brother, he would do nothing but watch reruns of (laughs) Frasier, and it would be terrible. So back to the Super Bowl and the cost here. A 30-second spot broadcast nationally, we're talking now outside of the Super Bowl, uh, costs somewhere around $120,000. The most recent Super Bowl figure, $4.5 million, means airing during the Super Bowl versus during just that rerun of Frasier or a more popular TV show, There's a, it costs about 36 times more money for the same 30 seconds, Super Bowl versus non-Super Bowl. Well, that math checks out, right? You have a lot more viewers during the Super Bowl. I mean, you're looking at 110 million viewers uh, in you know the last few Super Bowls, uh, and you compare that to the average viewership today of of the biggest TV shows like NCIS or The Big Bang Theory, uh, which you know they they will average around 18 million. Uh, so the Super Bowl gets six times as many people watching as the most popular TV show. So the Super Bowl gets six times as many viewers as the most popular television show. There's six times as many people watching the Super Bowl. Six times the eyeballs, but it costs you more than 36 times as much. So maybe the math doesn't check out. To advertise. Yeah, what's going on here? Well, it's not about just the number of eyeballs, number of people watching. There's more to it than that. The Super Bowl is a big deal. If you have an ad during the Super Bowl, especially if it's well-received, you're ad's longevity is much greater than it would be if you were to put it up during an episode of Big Bang Theory. Uh, people talk about Super Bowl ads. They share them. They watch them online. They, 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 they send them to friends, and then they evaluate them, compared, compare them to other ads. It's, it's more of a talking point. So it's more than just showing at the one time. You're becoming part of the, the national conversation uh, around the Super Bowl, which is you know well beyond, and it, and it gives you much more legs for your ad than, than normal. Yeah, it's the... The Super Bowl, we, I mean, we've said it before. We're beating a dead horse a little bit. The Super Bowl is the pinnacle of television advertising. Uh, advertising. There's people who do not like football and do not watch most of the football game, but they will stick around and uh, have appetizers and uh, nachos and all of those things to watch the ads that are played during the Super Bowl. Well, let's look at, again, another influential ad from Super Bowl's past. Let's jump all the way back to 2013. Super Bowl 47, Ravers and... Ravers. Ravers. The Ravers. The The Ravers. They they had their logo changed because uh, uh, Ravers, people who would go to Raves, got upset that they were... It was cultural uh, appropriation. They were like... Yeah, they were, you know, they were there with their pacifiers and their drugs and it just didn't work. (laughs) Uh, Super Bowl... That was their logo on the helmet. Was a pacifier pacifier, with drugs next to it. Yeah, and Um, they went on the X. He said, okay, well, we'll be the Baltimore Ravens instead. Yeah, that's fine. Well, we won't be the Ravens anymore. So Super Bowl 47, the Ravens and the 49ers. So, yeah, in this Super Bowl, uh, one of the best automotive ads of all time uh, to ever air during the Super Bowl premiered here, uh, or was shown here, rather. Volkswagen's The Force featuring Boy Vader. 
Yes, and you may remember this ad, but we'll summarize it. You have a young boy dressed in a full Darth Vader costume. He's walking around his house trying to use the Force. So we're hearing the Imperial March, you know, Vader's theme from Star Wars, dun, playing throughout dun, the spot. Dun, spot. Dun, yeah, if dun, you could do that while I describe dun, it. Dun, dun, he tries to start a washing dun, machine. Dun. He tries to wake up his dog. He tries to move a doll. Uh, it doesn't work. But his dad comes home, pulls into the driveway in his, in his yeah. 2012 Volkswagen Passat, and guess what? The boy tries to, to do something to the car using the force, and boom, he turns it on. Yeah, he holds uh, his hands out and makes the force gesture. Yeah, and it turns out his dad is using the remote start feature to turn on the car remotely. Which was uh, a pretty new yeah, thing a at new, the time, new right? Remote start and in fact, cars. it is the most exciting thing in automotive uh, advertising, and, and everyone loves a remote start yeah, car. remote start cars. Uh, ladies flock to a man with a remote start yeah. car. I mean, that's, I mean, if you're not getting any dating success... Get, Get a remote, start, a remote car. start car and say, watch this, ladies. Hey, you see that car yeah. over there? Yeah. Let me start it. Before the Super Bowl, this ad appeared, uh, a 60-second incarnation appeared online a week in advance. In a day, this ad had a million views. And before it showed during the Super Bowl, it had been seen 10 million times online. Why did it work so well? Why was this ad such a big hit? Well, Star Wars, right? And childhood dreams, those things coming together. Yeah, I mean, people love Star Wars. They respond well to stuff. And then seeing the juxtaposition of Darth Vader and this little kid and this cute story, this heartwarming family story, uh, it just, a lot of things combined together to make it a really feel-good, nice ad that it's, everyone it's, was it, happy about. It's well-written. It's it's easy to follow. It's simple. It's relatable. And it also came in this, you know, dearth of Star Wars movies, yeah. right? We'd had the... Prequels. The prequels were long gone. The new ones hadn't been announced. So it's a good time to, to pull up some Star Wars. Uh, and, and James Rainey of the LA Times said it much better than Abe ever will. Yes. He said, this ad will get inside people's heads and stay there because it combines the iconic Star Wars character and a classic sentiment, a child's desire to be larger than life. I wonder what that reporter would have to say about the gas scandal, Dieselgate. Yeah, he probably had a lot to say about it. A, f- a few years later, right? He probably right. took all of his past praise of Volkswagen and burned all the issues and wept, just tears pouring down his face. At the time, this was the most shared ad of all time. For more than three years, in fact, it was the most shared. And it was actually replaced or upstaged uh, three or four years later by an ad for Activa featuring who else? Shakira. Obviously. I yeah. mean, you, we're still talking about this ad yes. today. Shakira yeah. and Activia. That's... It's good stuff right there. Yeah. Well, Ryan, we've talked about it. There's a reason the ads in the Super Bowl are are huge. It's because the Super Bowl is so big. The NFL is huge. People want to watch the Super Bowl. And there are so many eyes there that advertisers know, hey, this is, this is it. This is the premiere. This is the most important event. I've got to get my product or my name or my brand uh, involved and out there. So I'm talked about. Yeah, and it's also an interesting example of, of the the symbiotic relationship between football, American football and advertising. They've grown up together. They've worked well together. They're fused together in a way that's unique uh, with sports and other things. So it really translates to, you know, when we say that Super Bowl is, is advertising prom, it's, it's kind of really is. It's, it's the big deal. Uh, and it's, it's where you're going to see trends for the next year or two. Uh, it's where you're going to see a lot of where a lot of people are putting their efforts and money. Uh, so if you're interested in advertising, uh, that's really what you want to study. Oh, to be the first attendant at the Super at advertising, advertising prom. prom. Oh, yes, oh, man. That's, that's quite the, the honor. Yes, I just love that. 
Well, that's our show for today. Why'd I Buy That is a production of Saxton Horn Communications. Our president is Mr. David Blaine. Our engineer is Justin the Giggle Thief Dial. If you have comments on today's episode, questions about advertising, ideas for future episodes, or would like to tell Ryan that his score of 67 at the bowling alley does not constitute a Super Bowl, Zing. please visit our website at saxtonhorne.com. Until next time, we wish you a bowl of the newest, hippest Apple products, Salsa Verde Doritos, and a key fob to your brand new VW Jetta. This is Why'd I Buy That. Thank you for listening.